It's keeping together that changes everything. Between our best moments and our worst. Between our finest hours and our lowest points. Between two Sundays, we discover that we're always better together. You know, this past, probably about three or four weeks ago, I had a conversation with a couple. They were in their mid-30s, and they came in and said, Keith, we just kind of need to talk to you a little bit about some things going on in our life. And so here's their story, just in a nutshell. They dated in college. They had both grown up in some kind of church experience. The wife, Karen, she had gone occasionally on holidays and sometimes with their family. Now, Rob, her husband, had grown up real active in the youth group at his church. But both of them, like a lot of college students, kind of got away from it by the time they got to college. They would go to church occasionally, but it wasn't the focal point of their life. And then after college, after a couple of years, they got married, and they began building their life. They started focusing on their careers. They started focusing on buying their first house, getting the nice new cars with their careers, like many of us have gone through in our lives. And they said God kind of became this thing, maybe not God, but at least church became this thing on the back burner. And then by the time they had kids, and they had two kids, and I think they were third grade in kindergarten, they realized they need to make sure they're in church. And so as a family, they started trying to go back to church. And they said they went to a local church in their neighborhood, and it was a good experience. They liked the worship. They liked the singing. They liked the preacher. There was lots of good elements about it. And they said, we went, and then we got back on Monday, and life got busy. And then we needed to go the next Sunday, but life was busy, so they missed a Sunday. But for several months, they would go every few weeks to church. But then, as the kids started getting into sports and little league and dance, they just said, our life got so busy, we had to give up something. We gave up trying to go to church on Sunday. And so in their life, they were recognizing, and this is where it all came to culmination. They said, Keith, right before we came to see you, we went on a date. We got parents to take care of the kids, and we went on a date, not so much a romantic date. We just wanted a life evaluation date. We met at a coffee shop, and we just, with intention of let's talk about life, and are we where we want to be? They said the first part of that evaluation was amazing. They've got the house they want. They've got the cars they want. The kids are doing good in school. They're excelling in extracurricular activities. They said, oh, that's good. But then they said we looked at each other across from that table at the coffee shop, and we recognized that our life seemed lonely and empty, and they could not figure out what it was. Now, they're doing good in their marriage. They're doing good in their family. But they said at this point, this season of our life, we expected just to have fuller relationships, like when they were in college, they were in fraternity and sorority and had all these relationships, but their life had got so inwardly focused on family, they said, we lost contact of all of our friends because they're kind of in the same boat we are. And so they came to me and said, Keith, what is missing? Why do we seem and really feel successful on so many areas of our life, but we just feel lonely and miserable? And as we began to talk and I listened to their story, here's what I realized. Their story is not just a story about Rob and Karen. Their story may be about a lot of us. And here's why. We get caught in the rat race of life, and we have all these things and all these activities and all these events that we're a part of, but when we slow down enough to kind of look and say, am I really, really happy? I believe, maybe in this church, but at least in our society, there are many, many people that are the same feelings as Rob and Karen 
And so as I began to talk with them, here's what I wondered. Why would we describe a certain, certain couple, certain people in our society as Rob and Karen, kind of meaningless and, and just kind of lonely life? Yet as I read scripture, especially in the book of Acts, I read about young families, old families, people, and their life was never described as lonely or meaningless or, own or, or hopeless. It was always described in a fuller extent. In fact, this past week I read Acts chapter 2 verse 43, and here's how it describes the people back in the days of Acts. A de- deep sense of awe came over them. And so as I was sitting with Rob and Karen looking, going, here's people 2,000 years ago, their life was described as a deep sense of awe that came over them. Yet here's Rob and Karen in 2023, they're just going, something is missing in our lives. And as I began to look at their lives more, they're pretty similar. I mean, 2,000 years apart, but I guarantee you back in the days that the book of Acts was written, people took care of chores, had household tasks to take care of. Moms and dads were busy raising kids. Grandparents were taking the kids so the mom and dad could go do something. It was a family affair. There were meals to cook. There were things to do. There were places to go. And so life was busy no matter if you lived 2,000 years ago or today. But the question is, what is the difference? Why could these people that we read about in the book of Acts have a sense of awe about their life, but so many people today have a sense of loneliness and emptiness? And here's what I think it boils down to. As I compare the two, what I think it boils down to is this. The people of Acts that we read about, their life had a foundation of relationships, and everything was focused on relationships. You see, there were still chores to do 2,000 years ago and now. There were still meals to cook, babies to take care of. All those are taking place. But so many times in our life right now, we do those activities for activity's sake. We do those things for this is my job's sake, and we miss the very people that we're doing those those things with and for. And so as I think about the church of Acts, the very beginning of church 2,000 years ago, what I sense the difference in them and so many people today is there is this foundation of relationships. And when I talk about the foundation of relationships, you're going to hear me use a word over and over over the next several weeks. And the word is not a new word to you, but I want to make sure we understand this word. All have the same definition as we begin this series. And the word that I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we all get it, that we all understand it. We may not all do it, but we all at least understand it, is the word community. Okay, community. So I know all these kids are about to go to school, and at some point their teacher's going to look at them and say, class, repeat after me. So I think this ought to be a good time. We all go back to class. So on the count of three, would you simply just say the word community? One, two, three. I hope. When those kids go back to school this week, they smile a lot better than you do and act like they're looking forward to enjoying learning that because you look like a bunch of just crabby old first graders that have gone back to school when they don't want to. So let's try that again, church. On the count of three, would you simply just say the word community? Yeah. Now look over at the person next to you and say, community is a good thing. Now let me make sure, as we're talking this word, saying it's a good thing, let let me give us a definition. Here's my definition for community. It's a feeling of oneness with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, values, and goals. If you're filling in the blanks, I think that's your first blank to fill in. A feeling of oneness with others as a result of sharing common attitude, values, and goals. And I have a preposition I'm going to make for your proposition, to your preposition in a statement. I think our society has lost community. Are you with me? 
Now, we, we may be more of us now than ever walk the face of this earth, over 8 billion people in our world. But I think we're a bunch of ones walking around than one big conglomerate one walking around. That we have lost these common goals. We have lost these common attitudes. We have lost these common values. And everybody's in it for themselves. And we're not experiencing community. You may say, wait, hang on a second, Keith. Time out here. You're talking about community. If you're talking about being with people, I'm in community all the time. I mean, I go to work and on my way to work, I drive with a thousand people going to my office for work every day. In fact, I live so much in community, it's not unusual for somebody to wave at me as they're driving down the road. They wave with one finger, but they're still waving at you as you drive down the road. <laughs> you say you can't walk outside your house and you have to say hello to half a dozen people on your street or neighborhood, so you live in community. Maybe yesterday, many of you went and sat in an auditorium or a ball field and you watched your grandkids or your kids play sports or in a dance recital. There was people all around you. Look at right now. We are in a bunch of people. We are in community. But I think we're still not in community. I think we're a bunch of ones, but not one big one. In fact, sociologists would agree with that statement. Sociologists say this, that when we gather in an office, a neighborhood, a church, or an auditorium, we're more concerned about our individual wants and needs and not the community and the people around us. Let me say that again, see if that fits for you. When we gather as one big bunch, whether it's auditorium for church, whether it's the grocery store, whether it's a baseball field or no matter where it is, we're gathered as a bunch of people that are focused on their own individual needs and not the greater need of the whole. In fact, so, so, sociologists say this, they describe it as a culture of individualism that we live in, a culture of individualism. In fact, if you're taking notes, let me just give you some of these thoughts on what sociologists, and you're going, sociologists, are we going to get to the Bible? Of course we're going to get to the Bible, I promise you that, but sometimes we get so caught up in the world that we get sucked into it and we don't realize what we're really in. And so here's a culture of, of individualism. It's a culture that says we think of ourselves over others. A culture of individualism says we choose to cancel rather than reconcile. In other words, it's easier just to act like you don't exist than to make things right with a person. And, 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 and a culture of individualism also says we value individual rights over community responsibilities. Now, church, let me ask you, does that sound like the neighborhood you live in? Does that sound like the office you work in? Does that sound like the society that you find yourself stuck in right now? It's a culture of individualism. And unfortunately, that is what's caused us as a society, as family members, as couples named Rob and Karen, as us, that we look up going, I got more people around me. I have more activity going around me, but I feel lonely, I feel lost, and I feel alone. If you're here today and what I've just described for you, you're going, Keith, you're not just describing my neighborhood. You're describing my house. You're not just describing society. You're describing my life. If that's how you feel many times, just like Rob and Karen, here's the good news for you. You are here today because we are starting a brand new series called From Porch to Patio. And in this series, From Porch to Patio, we're going to spend the next six weeks and we're going to talk about community. We're going to look at scripture and learn what God had in mind when he put us together as a community. But we're going to do more than just talk about community. We're going to do more than just learn about community. You're going to have the opportunity in real lifetime to experience community. 
This is one of those sermon series that don't, you don't just get to sit and take in. You get to sit and take with you as well. And so if you feel like a Robin Karen out there at all, or you've experienced that in your life, you are in a great place because we're going to discover to have, have that fullness in life, to be able, just like the book of Acts, as the people describe their life, that they lived in a deep sense of awe. And so let me do this. Let me take you to one of those couples, one of those groups of people that we talked about that's found in the book of Acts. And if you will, look with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. Short description, but it's one of the first descriptions of community that we find in the book of Acts. And here's what it says. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's blessing was upon them. Let me just pause there and say this for a second. As we talk about community as being the foundation of experiencing fuller life, it is with the assumption but yet acknowledging it right now, it is a community based on the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just putting together some people to get together and watch the Denver Broncos get beat by the Dallas Cowboys. That's not the kind of community that we're talking about. It is community where the scriptures and the resurrection of Jesus is central to everything they do. It goes on to say this, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. So one of the very first descriptions of what the Bible would call the church or even more intimately community. Look, look with me just, just as, at that scripture. There's a few things in there. First of all, as it talks about the first beginning of the church, did you notice they didn't talk about blueprints or buildings? I mean, so many times that we think the church is the wall or the walls around us, but the church are not the walls around us. It is the community of people. And so as it's describing one of the first churches, the first community that we read about in the book of Acts, it's not about buildings. It's not about building plans or blueprints. Um, it wasn't about creating programs and events. Last Friday night was amazing here, our block party. But the first church wasn't about a group of people to get together going, hey, how can we throw a big party so people will come to it? Nor not only was it not about programs and events, it wasn't even about church services. It didn't have a bunch of people come together going, hey, if we're going to be a church or community, we need to have a service at 9 o'clock at 11 o'clock. And we need to have one for tra traditional people and one for contemporary people. Services weren't the focus. The focus of community when they came together was each other. It was the deeper relationships that they would experience with one another and all that they did. Notice the sharing life together. There's like four or five different times they referenced it. One time they said in those scriptures, all the believers were united in heart and mind. There's another phrase in that passage that says they shared everything. Another one, God's blessing was on them. And then the fourth one says, no needy people, they gave to what's in need. Do you realize this? It's not a bunch of ones, it's a big one. They were all coming together, together. In those four short verses, over 10 times, there was a reference to people, plural, not person, singular. And so community was not about the individuals, it was about the group. If I could summarize that entire passage... In one word, it is the word that we're making the word for the day, and here's what it is, community. So do me a favor, look, out your, look over your neighbor and say, I'm just making sure you're not asleep. The word of the day is community, okay? It is the word that we're going to learn and we're going to experience together. Oneness with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, values, and goals. That's our definition of community. But here's what we need to understand. 
It's not like God's kind of got the whole world moving along through the Old Testament, through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection. The book of Acts comes up and God goes, oh, wow, I think I forgot something. I think we need to add community to this whole mix. Community has been a part of God's design and God's plan since day one. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. This is the story, the account of the creation of the world. And look what it says here. It says there in verse 26, then God said, so God's getting ready to say and create the world, right? But look what he says, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. Somehow in my Sunday school stories growing up, I always thought like God's there and God's all alone and God creates. But the Bible lets us know right there when God created the world. When he created man, when he created woman, when he created us, human beings, he was not alone. It was an us. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in the very beginning of creation, community was present. So that scripture goes on to say this, that in the beginning of creation, when God created man and created woman, he created out of us, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it says this, and he created them in his image. So think about this for a second. If God created me, you and I, remember not just God, singular, but God, plural, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If he created in communion, created us in his image, then what are we made in the image of? Community. So from the beginning of creation, God's design is for you and I to experience community. Think about a little further down in the passages and further down in Genesis and the calling of Abraham. When, when God looked down and said, okay, I'm going to take my son Abraham and I'm going to take him out and create a whole other nation. And, and it says this in chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And look what it says. And I will make you into a great nation, a great community. So God looked down at Abram going, hey, there's already like communities of people. But the problem with these communities, they weren't experiencing oneness. They didn't have the same values. They didn't have the same goals. They didn't have the same attitudes. These communities weren't led by the holy God. They weren't living in a theocracy. And so God said, I'm going to take my son Abram, and I'm going to take him over here to another land, and we're going to create new communities, but these communities will have a distinctive difference, and they will be God-centered. They will be God-led. Because community is more than just getting together for a party. Community is living in the feeling and the experience of oneness because the holy God that we serve and worship is the focus of all that we do. But God didn't stop there in community. He called Abraham in community, but then he went on. And when the na- Moses took the nation of Israel across the Red Sea, read this passage with me in, in chapter 14. But the people of Israel, so there's a big community, and just so you'll know, experts, theologians believe that this group of people that, that Moses led from, from being in bondage in Egypt through the Red Sea into the Promised Land probably was three to four million people. Just a guess, but there were three to four million people in this group. So it was a big community, but you're going, community, that's, that's, that's a nation, that's not a community. Community is when you experience oneness because we have the same goals, attitudes, and values. And so this was the community. But he says, but the people of Israel had walked through the middle on the dry of the sea on dry land. And as the water stood up like wall on both sides that day. And that is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And all the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, look what it says. And they were filled with awe. Do you recognize that expression? 
That is the same expression that the book of Acts describes communities in the New Testament. They were filled with awe. And I believe this with all my heart. The awe they experienced was greater and bigger and fuller because they did it in community. Have you ever gone to a good movie or read a good book going, oh my gosh, that was so good. And you go tell somebody, but you can't experience, you can't express that same type of aweness because you read it alone or you went to see that movie alone. But then take those same, that same movie and go see it with four or five, ten of your friends and you walk all out of there going, wow. It's like the aweness was bigger and grander because it was experienced in community. And I believe as the children of Israel marched to the Red Sea and they saw God take all the Egyptians under the water and they looked back and the oddness of the moment expanded bigger than we can ever imagine because there wasn't one people, two people, there were over a million people, maybe three million people going, wow, that's God's oddness in the corporateness. And so since the beginning of time, God has designed us to experience him in oneness, He's designed us to experience him, uh, him in community, and that's where we find the fullness of God in community. It didn't just stop in the Old Testament. Think with me back to when Jesus was born. The angels go, who do they appear to first? Shepherds with an S. They didn't just go pick a shepherd and a shepherd. They're like, okay, if we're going to experience this together, if we're going to grow and they're going to experience it, let me announce that God said through the angels to all these shepherds. Finish with the shepherds. Who heard next? The Magi, the wise men. And we don't know if there's three. That's just kind of historical legend that tells us it was three. But we know this, it was more than one. And so somehow in God's supernatural, super spiritual plan, he's going, when I show myself, when I reveal myself to people, there is a fullness they experience in me and the resurrection when it's done in community. This past summer, we just finished studying the book of Philippians together. It was an amazing study. You guys were so awesome, just all the comments and life-changing, just how God used that in you. But do you remember who that book was written to, actually a letter? Was it written to a person named Philippian? No, it was written to the church of Philippi. And so even as Paul is writing, giving instructions so people can better understand the joy that they can find in following Jesus, they wrote it, he wrote it, and the Holy Spirit delivered it to groups of people. And then last but not least, let's go to Revelations. There's going to be a time that we all spend glory in heaven if you know Jesus as your Savior. And it's going to be the biggest worship service you've ever seen in your life. If you ever look at your clock going, well, pastor, it's getting to be close an hour, you're not going to like heaven. And if you're not always crazy about some of the song selection, I think it's going to be more songs. And here's the thing, too. If you don't like some of the contemporary courses that sing the same course over and over and over, I'm afraid we're going to sing some of them over and over and over. You know why? Because we just look at the Lamb of God and we can only say, holy is the Lamb, holy is the Lamb, holy is the Lamb. But the book of Revelations in chapter 7 says this, after this, I saw a vast crowd, and this is John writing about the vision that he saw. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. So John describes these multitudes that we can't even imagine how many people, but when he saw them, he saw communities of people. He saw tribes. He saw families. And so, church, here's what I just want you to know. Community was in the beginning, and community will be in the end. And here's why I'm letting you know that right now. Go ahead and warn you. We have a six-week series called Porch to Patio. 
and we're going to talk about community, but you're going to have the opportunity to step into community if you're not already. And you go, oh, I don't think I want to. Here's what I want you to know. It's not an option. Okay? Now, I can't make you. No one here in this church will make you. But when God designed community, it's not an option. In fact, look at your next fill in the blank. God's design for mankind is to live in community. And if you really want to make this personal where it says mankind, just scratch that word out and put your name. God's design for John is to live in community. God's design for Helen is to live in community. Write your personal name. That is God's design. Let me just give you some thoughts over that, over that big bottom line right there. Community is more than existing in hordes of humanity. If, if community was just simply existing in hordes of humanity, guess what? We're all in community right now. Guess what? Drive down the freeway and you're in community. Guess what? Go to the Denver Broncos game next weekend and you're in humanity. But that's not where you experience the fullness that God's talking about. It's more than just existing in hordes of humanity. Community, and this is the definition that we've used, and I'm having you write it down again here because I want you to get this. For six weeks, I want you to get this definition. Community is oneness with the feeling, oneness with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, goals, and values. That's community. You see, as this next six weeks, as I'm trying to move and guard and, and urge and even kick you into community, I'm really not trying to kick you into the next party. I'm not trying to kick you into the next social gathering. I'm trying to lead us, you and me and all of us, into a group of people that we can be one with. One in our values, one in our attitudes, and one in our goals. And those values and goals and attitudes will be centered around the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. That's what we call community. Here's another thing about community. Community is not an add-on to your faith. Community is not an add-on to your faith. You know, one of the things that I love is going to Sonic and get a Route 44 drink. And I love doing that because I can order any drink, Dr. Pepper, Coke, you name it. But Sonic has more add-ons. Do you want some cherry flavor in that? Do you want some blueberry flavor in that? I'm afraid one day they're going to say, would you like one of our people to spit in it? I mean, they've got all these different add-ons on there, right? You can choose everything, a little ice, no ice, all these add-ons. And somehow we've taken the Sonic philosophy and we have matched it with the church philosophy that we call community. And we think, oh, no, not today, God. I don't think I'll take community. Oh, no, I'm kind of busy right now in this season of my life, God. I don't think I want community. Because, design, because God designed us for community, we cannot view community as a simple add-on. Well, my faith is okay, so I don't think I need any community. Without community, we will not experience the fullness that God has for us in our spiritual lives. And so it's not an add-on. So the next one says this, community is the foundation of your faith. Community is the foundation of your faith. You may be saying, well, you know what, Keith? Like, I've been following Jesus. I've been going to this church for 25 years, and I come to church most Sundays. I've never been in a small group. I've never been in a Sunday school class. I've never been in one of these smaller things. But, you know, uh, but I come to this church, so I, I think I'm just fine. Here's what I'll let you know. There's a crack in your foundation. And if you own a home, you know you can live a long time with a crack in your foundation, but you let it go unprepared, uh, unrepaired, and before long, that thing's going to turn into a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. And here's the last thing I say about community. Community is where we find the fullness of life. 
Remember, our community involves the resurrection of Christ. It is Jesus-focused. So it's not just getting together that gives us fullness. It is getting together in the name of Jesus that gets us together. And so I firmly believe as we look at Scripture, the reason we can take Rob and Karen their story, or maybe your story, going, why am I feeling lonely? Why am I feeling left out? Why am I not feeling the fullness? But we look at the people in Acts and experience the awedness of God. It's because they had community as a vital, major, foundational part of their life. It's kind of interesting. We, I told you several weeks ago we moved into our new home. And we're loving our new home. Um, it's the home that Denise dreamed of. It's the home that I never thought I'd have to pay that much money for. But we are loving our home right now, right? And so um, we're just starting to meet our neighbors. And I've learned the best way to meet neighbors is to go ask them something. And so a few, a few days ago, I went over to our next door neighbor to the left. His name is Matt. And I knocked on the door. Matt opened the door. But here's how the conversation went. He opened the door about this much. Like, I think he opened the door that much because he didn't want his two-year-old to run out. Didn't want the dog to run out. But I also think in our society, we just don't open the door big for people when they come in, right? So say, so, hey, Matt, we met. I'm Keith next door. And I just asked him a question about some stuff and, and some different things. And we sat there and talked. Before long, he opened the door more and stepped out and shut the door. So we had about a five-minute, really good, I thought, conversation right there on the front porch. And I'm walking home going, I met my first friend in the neighborhood. This is awesome. I love it. And I go home and I'm telling Denise. But after about 10 or 15 minutes, that good feeling kind of wore off. In fact, it went from just a good feeling to kind of an empty feeling. And I began thinking, what, what, I mean, I just met my first neighbor. I met my first friend in my neighborhood. What's, what's the problem? And I couldn't place it. Went to bed that night, didn't think about it. The next morning I get up, I'm doing something on our front porch, and I see another neighbor two doors down walk by. And we had met before just kind of waving, and his name is Steve. And I said, hey, Steve. And he's on the sidewalk. Hey, Keith. So we had this long-distance conversation, him on the sidewalk, me on the front porch. We talked about the weather. We talked about how many boxes he have left over. And I said, none of your business. And just those really intimate conversations, right? And we finished talking. I walked in going, oh, my second friend. But a few minutes later, I felt that emptiness again. And it finally occurred to me what was going on. These were front porch friends. Do you know French port, French front porch friends? They're the ones that you keep a safe distance from. Not because they're bad, not because you're scared of them, but you never allow them to come closer. You never allow them to step more into your life other than a casual hello, a nice greeting, everything's okay, and you move on with life. And here's what I realized, church. In my new neighborhood, in my new home, this dream home we've always dreamed of, that won't fulfill us. Porch friends won't even fulfill us. What we're missing are patio friends. Let me describe patio friends. Patio friends are the ones you invite over, and they come to the back patio, and there's your lounge chairs. Hey, sit, have a while. Here's a cold beer. Here's a cold Dr. Pepper. Here's some iced tea. Let's just sit and talk. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about this. Patio friends are those kinds that, don't ever leave. But you don't want them to leave because you've moved past just a formal greeting. They're the ones getting to know you. Patio friends are the ones that when you let them in the front door, they have to walk through your house to get to the patio, and they see the dishes that you haven't done in the kitchen. They may glance and see the bed that's not made from this morning. They're seeing the mess of life, but you don't care because they're your friends. They're the ones that you want to invite over tomorrow and the next day and the next day. That's the difference between porch friends and patio friends. And then I started thinking. I think that church on Sunday morning more usually resembles the porch. 
Now think about this. You can look around this room and see some people you may not know by name, but you see them once or twice a month when you come. Hey, how are you doing as you walk out? Have a good week. See you later. It's all really nice. It's really friendly. Nothing negative about it, but they're not like relationships. They're people you recognize. In fact, you may see some people, if you see them at the grocery store tomorrow, if you remember their name, you'll walk down the same aisle. If you don't remember their name, you'll skip an aisle. Hope you don't have to go face to face because then you'll have to know their name, right? That's so many relationships. That's so many people's existence on a Sunday morning church. Nothing wrong with it. You've got to get on the porch to ever get to the patio. Like the person three streets over that I haven't met and waved at yet, he's not getting to my patio. He's got to start at the porch. But if you only stay on the porch, look how much you're missing, both in your home life, in your neighborhood, but in your spiritual life. And I think when we talk about this attitude, this desire, this thing of called community that we see all throughout Scripture, that's not porch life, that's patio life. And God's designed us to live with each other on our patios. And so here's what's going to happen. Over the next six weeks, we're going to look at from porch to patio. We're going to be looking at community, what the Bible says about it. We're going to be looking specifically at biblical community. The who, what, where, when. We're going to look at all of it from God's perspective. And the reason is because God has designed you and I for community. So if you're in a small group, a home group, if you're in a Sunday school class that meets here on Sunday morning, a group of people with the same goals and values and attitudes towards the resurrection as the focal point of it, maybe you're in a Zoom group, there's all sorts, shapes, and sizes of these different community groups. But the goal of this series, non-apologetically, I'm saying right now, is to get every single one of us in community. You go, whoa, 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 hang on a second, Keith. I'm an introvert, okay? I don't gather with people. God designed introverts to gather with people. Now, I'm an extrovert. I want 30 people in my group. My wife's an introvert. She wants two of you, and she'll let you know who they are before you come over. That's just how God's wired us, right? But it doesn't matter our personality type. It doesn't matter our season in life. It doesn't matter our age of life. God has designed us to experience him, that same focus of the resurrection. He's designed us to experience him in community and I want the best for all of you I want every one of us to experience God in his fullness so you're going to hear me promote groups you're going to hear me advertise groups over the next six weeks you're going to hear me urge you to get in groups you're going to experience me prod to get you in groups and some of you may even feel me kick you into a group okay that's how much I believe in groups and you to experience the fullness of God because God wants us to experience him on the patio with other people. That's my prayer. Now, the good news today, you get a get-out-of-jail-free card, okay? I'm just telling you about it today. Next week, you're going to go out there, and you're going to see that we have a host of groups. Like um, South Sub has had groups for a long time now. And there's been some amazing groups. There are some amazing groups going on. But in evaluation, here's what we realize. They may be our best-kept secret, because if someone new walked in, they may not even know how to get into a group. So we got to make sure everybody knows how to get in the group. The other thing going on, we're not using the same groups we have, some of the Sunday school classes, some of the evening home groups. There's all sorts of groups. We're not just going to keep those. We're adding five, six, seven more groups to it. Because I don't know about you, I've tried to get in a group before and I walk in and these like six or seven people have been friends for a long time. That's a hard group to get into. 
Because no matter how friendly they are, you always feel like the outsider. So here's what we're going to do. We're bringing in the old with the new and making us all one together. There'll be some brand new groups starting. Um, Denise and I are starting a group of 20-somethings at our house. We hope to have the 15 or 20 or 25, 30 young people come together every Thursday or every Tuesday night at our house meeting about Jesus. We're starting a group for young parents. We're starting a group for old parents. We're starting a group for really, really, really old parents. So we're finding a group for all of you right here today, okay? We got it all for you. There's all, they meet at different times of the week. So there's so many ways. You're like, oh, that doesn't fit my schedule. Then there's another one that we will find to fit your schedule. Because we think groups is where you're going to meet and experience Jesus the most. So this is kind of a a prodder. Next week, you're going to see me kicking you back there, okay? But be thinking, asking this question, God, I want the fullness of you. And the fullness of God will be found in the community of others as we focus on the resurrection in our life. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is timeless. The same idea that's found in in Genesis that we find in Revelations, and it gets us right smack dab in the middle right here. So thank you for that, Jesus. I pray now. I pray that we as a church, individuals of oneness, will experience your fullness over these next weeks to come. And so will you, maybe if some of us take us out of our comfort zone, for others, will you help us not to be so busy or rather prioritize our busyness that we may find you in your fullness with others. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.